0: Well, if I were to ask you, what's the most trouble you ever got in? How many of you would know exactly the moment of the most trouble you ever got in? Okay, so I assume the rest of you are like, there's so many, I can't really figure out the difference between all the different times I got in trouble and what was the worst. For me, um, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, like the worst time I ever got in trouble. You see, when I was in the ninth grade, uh, my cousin and I would blow up water balloons and hide behind things and jump out and throw them at cars. Okay, And, and so being the like laser accurate, like arm that I've got. okay, when I would jump out and throw a water balloon, it was a perfect shot. Every time. And unfortunately, one of those times I happened to be throwing a water balloon at car at a car when I was in ninth grade, the window was down and the balloon went inside the car and exploded and they slammed on their brakes and turned their car towards us and began to come after us, like trying to basically run us over. And so my cousin and I jumped on our bikes and, and we're pedaling as fast as we can. And we're going through this apartment complex. And they are literally like ramping curbs and, and, and medians and things like that, trying to chase us down. I mean, we nearly got hit by two different cars trying to run from these people. We, we hid for a while. Uh, we, we decided, okay, now it's, it's the coast is clear. It's time. We can go back home. And, and so we begin to ride our backs back home. And we were going through this apartment complex, trying to stay off the major streets, you know, so we, so we didn't get caught. And, and, and so we're taking the back ways. We come into this apartment complex and all of a sudden we turn around and there is a cop. And he says, uh, boys, what have you been doing? I'm like, oh, nothing. You know, nothing. No, 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 you know, nothing. Well, out of the police car comes the lady that was in the car. And she's saying and telling the cop, it's them. They're the ones. And the cop said, boys, you're coming with me. And I threw up everywhere. I was so scared. I was so scared. Uh, I I threw up on the pavement and he was like, don't get in that my car, you know? And I was like, I'm throwing up everywhere. I can't help it. I'm scared to death. I know what's about to happen. Like my life's over. I'm going to die. And I didn't die, but It was bad, like real bad, okay? Like that summer, um, I was having to strip the paint off my grandfather's house and totally repaint all the siding on the outside of his house. He had an old rent house uh, where my great-grandmother used to live that they were renting out. The whole thing was made of siding and so I had to scrape, my cousin and I had to scrape the entire house and all the windows and all that kind of stuff and repaint that house over the course of a summer. And, and so we, we spent that whole summer working and making up and living out the consequences of those decisions. I asked my wife, Darby, I said, hey, what, when's the worst time you, you ever got in trouble, like the most trouble you ever got in? And she said, well, it was my sophomore year of high school. My mom had told me, do not go ride with your friends to lunch. And of course, that's not very cool. And so she wanted to be cool and ride with her friends and not tell her friends, no, that could drive. No, I got to go walk to lunch. And so she rode with her friends and somehow as parents do, her mom knew. I don't Who knows how? But her mom knew about it and was waiting for her at school when she got there and came into school and got her, I believe, out of her class. And according to my wife, Darby, was yelling at her and letting her have it in the hallway at Coronado High School while all of her friends were in class that day. And she said she got in trouble. I think she was grounded for months as a result. She said she's never forgotten it. It was the time she got in the most trouble. I asked Brandon and Mark, hey, When is the time you got in the most trouble? Mark said it was when he and Laura started dating and, uh, he put 2000 extra minutes on the cell phone plan that month. And, uh, his dad was livid and said he had to mow the yard on his own, uh, for the rest of the summer. Brandon said it was a time where he snuck out and started his dad's tractor without him knowing while his dad was asleep and he could not figure out how to shut the thing off and it kept going and going. And so he had to get his dad woken up from a nap and and Brandon said, I can't tell you what happened to me after that, but just know I got in a lot of trouble. A lot of us remember the time we got in the most trouble and some of us might say, I'm not too sure the consequences matched the crime. Like it, it, I think maybe my consequence, especially in the moment, especially as a child, when you get in trouble, you don't really feel like the consequences match the crime. You often feel like the consequences maybe aren't fair. And it's in this moment in the very beginning where the very first People on the face of the earth, like to ever exist, got in trouble with God, and the consequences were handed down. That all of humanity, ever since, has been saying, I'm not too sure the consequences are fair. And I want to show you what I'm talking about. So, if you got your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and we will see in the midst of this crisis the consequences that come to this crime against God, we will see the very first promise of Christmas all the way in the very beginning. Like not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we actually see the very first promise of Christmas in Genesis chapter three, in the very beginning, in the middle of this crisis between humanity and God. And so let me catch you up real quick with where we're at in the first 2 weeks of this series. Here's what we've said. That because Adam and Eve followed the snake into rebellion, that rebellion against God that looked so good and so enticing that the snake promised would bring them the life and the freedom and the happiness that they so desperately desired, the contentment that they desired, that that rebellion That the snake led Adam and Eve into was a lie. And it brought nothing but shame. That's what we saw in week two. It brought them shame to where the natural response in our sin and in our rebellion is to run from God. It's to it's to hide from God. But we saw last week that the seed that's promised, the promise of Christmas here in Genesis chapter 3, not only crushes the rebellion in our hearts and in this world ultimately and finally one day, it crushes our shame. To where we don't have to run from God, we can run to God. And so today I want you to see the second result of our rebellion is not only shame, but it is a curse. And it's in this curse, actually, in the middle of the curse, as God lays out the consequences for this crime. It's in the middle of this curse, we see the very first promise of Christmas. So here's what we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And here's what's happened so far Adam and Eve have rebelled against God. God has found them in the garden. They've been hiding. And now God begins to lay out the consequences for the crime. So let's go. Starting in verse 14, here's what it says So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, watch this, cursed are you. And that's the result of sin. That's the result of the rebellion in our hearts and, and in this world is a curse. And that's what's going to follow to every part of creation and to humanity, to all that exists is now under this curse because of sin. Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I watch this. And he says, I will put enmity between you, the snake, and the woman, and between your offspring, some translations say your seed. So between your offspring, your seed, the the seed of the snake and hers and her seed, there will be this war between the snake, between the devil and the offspring or the seed of the, the woman. And then watch this. He, the seed of the woman, will crush your head, speaking to the snake. That's the name of our series, Snake Crusher. It's the very first promise of Christmas. He will crush your head and you, the snake will strike his heel. To the woman, he said this, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Painful labor will give birth, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Talking about the conflict and the war that would exist in in marriage now. That there would always be this war, this battle for control. To Adam, he said, because you've listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed now is the ground or the earth because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. In other words, until you die. Since from it you were taken, For dust you are, and to dust you will return. You will die. The Bible says it's appointed in a man once to die and then to face judgment. And that is the result of sin. It's the curse of sin, death, that to dust we will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and and clothed them. We talked about that last week. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and and live forever like he used to. They would eat from the tree of life in the garden and it enabled them to live forever. But now God says, no, no, we can't do that. So, So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out of the garden... He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Otherwise they would take and eat and live forever in this curse. In this ground, this world that's been cursed, in this universe that's been cursed, and these bodies that have now been cursed because of sin. And God said, no, that's not my plan for you to live forever in this curse. I've got to I've got a different plan. And so we see the consequences of sin. And oftentimes people will say, we're not too sure that the consequences match the crime. But how many of you realize and and know that who you offend often determines the level of the punishment? Like if we're standing in the hallway and you walk up to me and punch me in the face, Okay, you're going to get in some trouble, right? But the police officer who's here this morning, if you were to walk up to him and punch him in the face, well, you got a whole new problem. Like that's a whole lot worse. You're going to have a lot worse consequence because you've assaulted an officer. What about if you went up to the governor of Texas, to Greg Abbott, and you were to punch him in the face? Okay? The consequences are going to be a lot worse for punching me or for punching the cop. You see, the level of the punishment always depends on the level of the person that you're offending. If you were to go and punch the president right now, it would mean far worse consequences than any of the previous situations that we've mentioned. In fact, if you even make a threat against the president's life, You can be arrested because the level of punishment always depends on the the person that you're offending. The consequences get worse. Well, now imagine offending an infinitely holy an infinitely righteous, infinitely just and infinitely powerful, all powerful God. Imagine offending him and breaking his law. And the consequence that would follow. You see, when you offend an infinitely holy, righteous, and just God, there is an infinite consequence. It's the curse of sin, death. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Eternity separated from God in a place called hell because you have infinitely offended an infinitely holy, powerful, and righteous God And because God is righteous, it's who he is, the Bible teaches. It's a part of his nature. It's a part of his character. Because God is just, he's a just judge. It's a part of his nature. It's a part of his character. A God who does not punish sin could not be a righteous and just God. But because God is righteous and just and holy, he must punish sin. To not do so would be to violate his own nature and character. So God does punish sin. And our rebellion not only brings the shame that we talked about last week, it brings a curse. And so now let's talk about this curse. Let's break down the verses that we just read. First of all, the first curse we see is a curse of war. And if you're following along on the app, you can fill in the blank as we go, take notes and email them uh, to yourself later. It's a great way to stay engaged and stay involved and, and, and stay connected and, and to email yourself the notes from everything we talked about today. So you can open up the app, click message notes and follow along with us. But number one, th- this curse is a curse of war. It's a curse of war. Did you notice how when God was speaking to the snake, he said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. That's war. That's war. That's conflict. So the first curse, generally speaking, is this curse of war. We're at war with God now. By our very nature, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, we are objects of the wrath of God. Romans 5 says that in your sin, you're actually an enemy of God. You're his enemy. And so we're at war with God in our sin the result of this curse of war is that we're at war with animals now. We see it in the animal kingdom and between each other and now between us and, and animals that there are animals like lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, is because there is war between us and the animal kingdom. It was never intended to be that way. But now there's war with, between us and the animals. There's war to God's people and with God's people. And so we see all throughout history People have always been opposed to the people of God, whether that was Israel or now the church. Jesus said, don't be surprised. He told his father, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It hated me. Because the world loves darkness and not light and does not want their darkness and their deeds done in the darkness to be exposed. This world has always hated the people of God. We have always been viewed as their enemy. Now, they are not our enemy. People that do not believe the same way that we do are not, our, are not our enemy. And so we don't argue and we're not hateful. We're not prideful or arrogant to people who don't believe the way that we do. But the Bible is clear and we see it with Israel and we see it with the church that this world will always be at war with God's people until the end of time. And so Jesus said, don't, don't be surprised at that. Don't be, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Don't be surprised, Christian, if you don't fit in with this culture. Don't be surprised if your beliefs differ from that of the culture. Don't be surprised if your beliefs are not popular. Because there will always be this war with God's people. God said there's going to be enmity between the offspring of the snake, that is his followers, and the offspring of the woman, the people of God, there will be this war. We see a war in marriage now. And if you're married or have been married, you know this is true: that there is a daily and weekly, monthly, yearly battle for control. And peace can be hard to come by. It's the result of sin. Part of the curse of sin is that we would desire in marriage to control one another, to dominate the other. And it's not healthy. It's the curse of sin. So there's war in marriage. There's war between parents and kids. Because we're sinful from birth. We saw a couple of weeks ago, sinful from the time David said, my mother conceived me. Kids desire naturally from birth to do wrong. That's what's natural. We have to teach them to do right. So there's war between parents and kids. Secondly, there's the curse of pain. You saw God tell the woman, You're going to have pain in childbirth. God tells the man you're going to painfully toil to provide a living for your family and to feed your family because the ground's not going to cooperate with you anymore. You're going to have pain in this life. Jesus said, even as a follower of Christ, in this life, you will have many trials and troubles. And that's the result of the curse of sin that we would have struggled, that we would have difficult times, that we would have trials, that there would be pain in this life. Third, we have the curse of the thorns, which represents the curse of the ground. That the world, the earth itself would be cursed as a result of sin. You see, sin broke everything, including this universe, including this earth that was created. Very good. And so now we see things like tornadoes and famine and tsunamis and earthquakes. All these things are the result of the curse of sin. The the ground has been cursed and brings us, like a thorn, brings us pain. In fact, Paul would say in Romans 8, the world itself is in birth pains, just like a woman giving birth. That the ground, this this earth, this world is literally in birth pains. And now all of us in West Texas know where that evil wind comes from. It's the curse of sin. It's where the the dirt comes from, right? The dirt that's in the air that blows through here. It's the curse of sin. It all makes sense now. And then finally we see the curse of death. The curse of death, God said, From the ground you came and to the ground you will return. From dust you were made until dust you will return. And so our bodies are decaying, dying, and will die. And I believe that God does do miracles and heals people of sickness and pain and illnesses of all kinds. I've seen it. I've experienced it. But make no mistake, the curse of sin is death. And God's plan is not to heal you over and over and over again like a tree of life to keep you in this cursed world and in this cursed body. God's plan is not to keep you alive in this body and in this world. No, no, no. God's plan is to bring you back to life. It's to give you a new life, a new body, and a new city, and a new earth one day. God's plan is not to keep you alive in this cursed world. No, it's to give you a new body and a new earth forever one day. And so the curse of sin is death. And the Bible says the result of sin, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then to face death. Judgment. And so, this curse of sin that we see laid out here in Genesis chapter 3, the consequences for the crimes against. God, the fine that's to be paid. It gives us a picture of in preview of the wrath of God against sin. As it says in Ephesians chapter two, by your very nature in your sin, you're objects of the wrath of God. And we see this wrath of God against sin here in the very beginning in Genesis chapter three. But it's in the middle. It's in the middle of the curse that God gives the very first promise of Christmas. It's in the middle, right here in the middle of the the curse, in the list of the consequences of our crimes against God and the result of our sin. It's right here in Genesis 3, right here, in this crisis between man and God, that God gives the very first word and prophecy and promise of Christmas Day. And I hope you saw it. And that's been the point of this series is to get you to see, to help you see the very first promise of Christmas in Genesis chapter three, because it's such great news. It's such a great promise. And it's right here in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, when God says this, speaking of this war, this enmity between you and the the woman, between your offspring and hers. Here's what God says. The seed of the woman He will crush your head speaking to the snake and you will strike his heel. Now you might be hearing like, what are you talking about? How is that the very first promise of Christmas? What what does that even mean? Who's this seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of the snake? Well, if you've been here, you know what we're talking about. But let me just kind of recap for you. The next place we see this wording, like this terminology about this seed that's going to come, is in Genesis chapter 12, when God makes a promise to Abraham. And he says, hey, I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be famous. Your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. You are going to be famous. I'm going to bless you and make your name great. And then God says, and through your seed... All the families on earth will be blessed. And so that's the next time we kind of see this promise. And then God would repeat it to Abraham's son Isaac, and then to his grandson Jacob, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God would repeat this promise over and over and over again. Through your seed, all the families on earth, all the nations on earth, will be blessed. Well, then we get to the time of Moses. Moses has led the, the, the nation of Israel out from bondage to the Egyptians out of slavery and, and they're at Mount Sinai and, and God gives the, this, the old covenant where, uh, by which this through this sacrificial system, uh, man would make atonement for their sin through the sacrifice of an animal who would die in your place for your sin. And in this sacrificial system, there was this preview and there was this picture, if you will, there was this prophecy, if you will, of this seed who would come and die in our place for our sin for all time, once and for all. And there would be no more need for sacrifices for sin because the fine would be paid in full through this seed that the sacrificial system would point to and would give us a picture of. Well, much later, nation uh, Israel's become a mighty and powerful nation. David is now king like David, like Goliath, King uh, David and Goliath, and and now David is king, and and, and very powerful, and and very prominent, very wealthy. And God promises David something. And he says, David, there will never cease to be someone from your family line, from your offspring, reigning on your throne. Uh, Never. There will never cease to to be someone from your seed reigning on your throne on your throne. So here's what we know about this seed through the Old Testament and throughout the Old Covenant, that this seed is going to crush the head of the snake, that this seed is going to bless all the families on earth, that this seed is going to be the replacement of this sacrificial system that would who would die in our place for our sin, taking the curse of sin upon himself, and this seed will be a king who will never cease to reign on David's throne. So that's, that's who this seed is. Now, if you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And the very first verse in your New Testament, in the very first book of your New Testament, it says this Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it shows, from one generation to the next, how Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy that's been made all throughout the Old Testament. For thousands of years, this seed has been promised that will crush the head of the snake, that will bless all the families on earth, that will be the replacement of the sacrificial system, and will reign on David's throne, will be a king forever. So so who is this seed? Matthew 1 verse 1, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That means Jesus is the seed that God was prophesying and God was promising in, in Genesis chapter 3 that would crush the head of the snake. You better believe it. He is that seed, the seed of woman and the seed of God. God, John 1 would say, becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us in the person of Jesus. And so Jesus is that seed that was promised. And now watch what Paul says about the seed and how the seed crushes the head of the snake and ultimately the snake's rebellion and the snake's curse. Here's what Paul says. Here's the way that Paul describes how the seed saves us from the curse of the rebellion and the curse of, of shame. Here's what Paul says for the sin of this one man, Adam caused death to rule over many. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how this rebellion has been inherited and how this curse is inherited from one generation to the next it's passed down. And so we have a sin nature. We're born into sin. And so now sin rules over the many. Paul says, Because of the sin of one man, the consequences of sin, death, the curse of death, rules over many. But watch this. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness, which means a right standing with God. Which means there's nothing you can earn. You can't be right with God in and of yourself and by your own merit, by doing better or trying harder. No, no, no. A right standing with God is a gift that God gives to us. For all who receive it, watch this, this gift of righteousness, for all who receive it, watch, will live in triumph over sin and death. That's the curse of sin. So if you give your life to Jesus, the seed who was promised, you will live in triumph over sin and you will triumph over death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Watch this. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ, one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. And that's you and I. Many have become sinners because one man disobeyed God. Many have become sinners. But because one other person obeyed God completely and fully and was without sin. Many will be made righteous. In other words, many will be made right with God. If you give your life to Jesus, your sin is forgiven. And the curse of sin, shame, and death are removed. And you live in triumph over sin. You live in triumph over the curse of when you give your life to Jesus. Not when you've been baptized or or prayed or given enough money or been good enough or done better or tried harder. That's not when you're right with God. You're right with God when you give your life to Jesus. And you receive a right standing with him and you live in triumph over the curse. Here's what Paul would say in Galatians chapter three. Watch this. Here's how he put it in Galatians three. But Christ has rescued us From the curse. He's the seed that was promised that would rescue us from the curse pronounced by the law and by our breaking God's law. When, here's how he rescued us, when he was hung on the cross, watch this. He took upon himself the curse. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The seed, Jesus, when he hung on a cross and died in our place for our sin, took upon himself the curse. And he rescued us from the curse. And so now the curse of war, through Christ, We have peace with God. Romans five says, "We were at war with God as a result of the curse of sin, but now through Jesus Christ, Romans five says we have we have now we we've got peace with God through Jesus. The curse of sin was was pain, but Isaiah fifty three says that it's by His stripes we are healed. The symbol of the curse upon the ground, the thorns." Christ was crucified. They put on him a crown of what? A crown of thorns. What kind of God is this? That wears our curse for our sin around his head? What kind of God does that? Actually, where's our curse? The curse of sin was death. But when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says he paid our fine in full. And Jesus said that If you believe in him, even though you die one day, you will live even after dying because Jesus has conquered sin and conquered the grave. And so if you've given your life to Jesus, even though you die, you will be raised up and you will live in triumph over sin and death. And so now you know why, when the angel showed up in Luke chapter two, The angel the Lord said, you don't have to be afraid. Yes, this world is messed up. Yes, this world is evil and wicked. And yes, your, your body is dying and you will die. But in all of that, you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid, the angel says. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, in the line of David, the seed of David, the seed of Abraham, the seed of the woman, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And so here's the great news this morning of great joy is that Christmas crushed the curse. We, we celebrate Christmas, and I pray you celebrate it in a fresh new way this season, knowing that the seed of the woman is the best gift of Christmas. The seed who would die in our place for our sin, would wear our curse around his head, would conquer our sin and death, and in doing so, would crush the curse of sin. And that's the message of Christmas. That God became flesh, He took on flesh, and then He would take on our curse. And you know, this passage in Genesis 3, if you were to open up an old school Bible, He would probably title this whole chapter the fall of man. Because the curse of sin is referred to as the fall when man fell out of right standing with God, when all of creation, when the ground, when everything fell from the way God intended it and the way God created it. God created everything and it was perfect and it was good and this was a paradise and and there was a perfect relationship between God and man. But the result of sin brought this curse. It brought the fall. And so now we refer to everything as fallen. This world is fallen. Humanity is fallen. Your body is fallen because of sin. Everything is fallen because of sin. And so we refer to this as the fall. But I was reminded this week of something the prophet Micah said. Looking forward to this seed, looking forward to Christmas. Micah said this in Micah chapter 7, starting in verse 8. Watch this. Micah says this, don't gloat over me, my enemy. And now I want us to say this together, this, this sentence right here, ready? One, two, three. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Let's try that again, all right? One more time. Micah looking ahead to Christmas, looking ahead to Christmas, The seed that was to come to crush the head of the snake. The seed that would be a blessing to all nations. The seed that would replace the sacrificial. The the seed that would reign on David's throne. Micah says this. Let's do it again. Let's say it again. Ready? One, two, three. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light because I have sinned against him, I've sinned against God, I will bear the Lord's wrath, the curse of sin, which is death, until, until the Lord pleads my case and upholds my cause. He, the Lord, will bring me out into the light and I will see his righteousness. David, Micah, says, though I have fallen, I will... I will rise. You see, most of us, even as Christians, we we live as if the old commercial is true. I've fallen and I can't, and I can't get up. This situation is fallen, it's messed up and I can't get up. My marriage is fallen and can't get up, there's no hope. My, my kids are, are fallen, they're away, they're astray and they can't get up. See, a lot of us oftentimes live as if that commercial's really true. I've fallen and I can't get up. But Micah, looking forward to Christmas and the seed that was to come, says, though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I be in darkness, I will see the light And the great news for you and I this morning is we're no longer looking forward like Micah was waiting on something. You and I are looking back on Christmas. We are looking back on what Micah was waiting for, was hoping for. You and I get to look Back on that day, on that Christmas morning, when God became flesh and took on flesh and then would take on our curse and then would be risen from the grave, conquering sin and death. And so now Romans 5 says, because of that, because of Christmas, we will live in triumph. Because of Christmas, Galatians 3 says, we've been rescued, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Because the seed took our curse upon himself. And I love verse 19 in Micah chapter 7. If you keep reading Micah chapter 7 towards the very end of the book, it says this in verse 19. And so he, speaking of the Lord, this seed that was to come, he will tread our sins under foot. You could say it like this. He will crush our sins under his feet, Micah says, and will hurl them into the depth of the sea. Now I love the illustration of God separating our sin as far as the east is from the west because you can't measure that, it's immeasurable. But for finite beings like you and I, sometimes it's helpful to have a measurement, like to know the, the distance. And when Micah says here that God the Lord will hurl our sins into the depths of the sea. I begin to ask, well, what's the, how how deep is the sea? Some of you may know this, but in the Mariana Trench in the Western Pacific Ocean, at the bottom of that trench, there's a crevice that goes down. It's called Challenger Deep. And Challenger Deep is 36,000 feet beneath the sea level. Now to give you a kind of a help, help you again, kind of see the depth here. Mount Everest is 29,000 feet. So you could turn Mount Everest over and there would still be 7,000 feet to go. There'd be another mile over a mile left. That's how deep the deepest place in the sea is. And so when Micah says he will hurl our sins into the depth of the seas, that's challenger deep. That's 36,000 feet below the sea level. That's how deep it is. And Micah says he will tread our sins underfoot. He will crush them and he will throw them into the depths of the sea. And so Ephesians 2 says you're dead in your sin. Yes. And by your nature, yes, you're objects of the wrath of God. You're following the snake in his rebellion. But because Christ has risen, if you give your life to Christ, Ephesians 2 says God will raise you up just like Christ. And so creation may be fallen, but it too Will rise. Humanity is fallen, but humanity will rise. Our relationships are fallen, but they too can rise. Your marriage may be fallen, but it through Christ can rise. And so I invite you to say this morning and to make it your prayer. Though I have fallen because of Christmas, I will rise. Would you pray with me? God, I pray this morning that the news, the great news that the angel brought on that day, would ring true all over again for us today, and would have a new and powerful meaning this morning, as we know that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. We've got good news of great joy for every person who would believe. A Savior has been born. He's Christ the Lord. He's the promised Messiah. The prom- seed that would rescue us from our sin and would crush the head of the snake, would crush our rebellion, would crush our shame and would crush, crush the curse. And so God, we thank you this morning that as we look back on Christmas, we can admit that we have fallen because of our sin, but in Christ, we will rise. It's in his name we pray.